guy yeah oh my god talk about a backseat driver yeah but he was a real good conversationalist so well you got here early so he must have known some good shortcuts anyway it's potter zb the comic book nerd cast that dares to ask what me worry i'm your idiot kyle boogeyman bridget and with me your creepy co-idiot Patty McCobb McInerney. Hey, but real quick though, what about last week? I'm I'm mean? supposed to be an idiot. You were, you were the idiot last week. No, the voicemail. Remember, on the answering machine. Answering machine. Who the hell has an answering machine? <laughs> Was this 1993? <laughs> All right. Anyway, it's Halloween. We need to be moving along. We might get spooked or tricked or something if we linger around here too long or we might even get a treat the real treat is podcasting with your friends oh dude there you go that's sweet i like that <laughs> i'll cut that part out mm, welcome to the mm, cheese quiz department yum yum eat them up <laughs> that's spray cheese is that just cheese Whiz coming a spray brand now Cheese Whiz has always been spray cheese. Oh, really? Not here. It's a jar of, like, orange goop. Cheese Whiz. Images. I used to like it on celery when I was a kid. Yeah. I Okay. I see the jar of Cheese Whiz, but I thought it was spray cheese. Oh, it's almost like Velveeta. I've never had that. Is that, an, is that orange and made of goop? Yeah. Yeah. Spray cheese. Cheese is spelled with an S, not a Z. Okay. Oh, I'm singing Easy Cheese. Uh-huh. Max, look, it's the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But there's no whiz in that to make a, a quiz joke about the department. No, easy cheese quiz. That doesn't make sense. That's right. It's spooky season, so we're doing a spooky online horror quiz today. Do you like horror movies? Oh, I love it. And I love this time of year so much because one, you have horror movies galore. And two, I get to you call people <laughs> and uh, nobody gets mad at me. <laughs> They're probably mad at you. <laughs> They're probably all very mad at you, actually. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Ooh, maybe edit that one out. Anyway, what are some of your favorite horror movies? I'll be honest, I don't like actually scary horror movies. I like kind of the corny ones, obviously Universal Monsters, but like things like The Fly, the Cronenberg Fly, and the original one too with Vincent Price, The Thing, like things that now are, are sort of like maybe suspenseful and kind of creepy, but not scary. That's mm -hmm. the type of Halloween movie I like. What kind of horror movies do you like? Me? Um, I mostly like uh, like Grindhouse schlock and like early direct video i also like you know kind of more kind of i guess prestige horror like you know maybe like a dario argento or like a fulci but i like to be lots of sex along with my violence and then occult or weird themes going on dario argento that's a name i've heard many times i don't think i've seen a single film of his have i i think suspiria is the one to check out 
Yeah. That's kind of like the main one. Okay. When you're talking about like the grindhouse stuff, the straight to DVD things. More like straight I, to VHS. By DVD yeah, straight, times, I'm not as interested. I think you and my uncle Mo. Oh, yeah. A wise guy, eh? Would have a lot to talk about, to be honest. We should get him He's... on here. <laughs> <laughs> I half expect it to be like just you with like a costume. You keep being like, oh, sorry, I'm cooking a turkey in the kitchen. I'll be right back. Ah, <laughs> oh, hey, Kyle. <laughs> it's me, Momo. <laughs> uh, the uh, He used to go to this website early on in the internet, Mondo Schlocko. Do you, oh, are you yeah. familiar? <laughs> I don't know that one, but I do know about like Mondo videos and stuff like that. He loved all those old, I guess, Grindhouse movies. Yeah, I'm not sure if Grindhouse is like the or, perfect term, but it's just like that kind of schlock you know, trash horror. Yeah. You know, up to about a hammer horror. Yeah. That sort of stuff. All right. Well, let, should we get into this quiz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if this quiz is going to be any good. This is the Summerland Review. Well, how do you... Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was reading that like it was conversational. Like, well, how do you know? <laughs> how well do you know your classic horror flicks? Not very well, but let's see. This first one asks, who is the killer... In Friday the 13th, and then in parentheticals, 1980. Okay, so um, our options are Jason. Yeah. Jackie Brown, Miss uh -huh. Pamela Voorhees, and James Hetfield. So I know the answer to this one. Do you? <laughs> uh, yes. It's the one without a name, Jason, without a last name. No, you're wrong. It's Miss Pamela Voorhees. He's talking about Friday the 13th, part one. Oh, I guess. No, I, I Jason doesn't just... become the killer, I think, until the second or maybe the third one. I was more of a, a Nightmare on Elm Street guy, but I have I do remember renting this and having watched some later Friday the 13th yeah. movies and being like, what the hell? It's his mom. Is she in a suit? No, she, she doesn't like wear a... the suit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see her. It's like the whole thing is set up where it's like you don't see her and then it's sort of revealed at the end. And then there's a weird scene where it's like the last girl is on the lake alive and Jason Voorhees, like a mutant, jumps out of the water and grabs her and pulls her under. But it's unclear if that's a dream. Mm. Anyway. That's bizarre. Let's take my word on it. No, I do take your word on it. Correct. 67% got this right. So next question. In which original franchise Halloween film is it revealed that Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' younger sister? Oh. I have a confession to make. Yes. I am not up on my Halloween. Of all the horror franchises, the big ones, Halloween is very much a blind spot for me. Yeah. More than probably any of the other big ones. And so I have seen a handful of Halloween films, including Halloween, but I'm not sure which one it would be. Okay, I remember watching Halloween as a kid with my buddy Aaron Piccala, and there's Halloween, Halloween 2. Halloween 3 is Season of the Witch, right? I think it's actually in Halloween 2 where they reveal it. I don't think, think it's so? Resurrection. I feel like I, I remember there being, wait, is it Resurrection the one that Rob Zombie did? Was that I like have the no reboot? idea. I have no idea. All I know is the original one. It's like Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. His mask is a William Shatner mask spray painted yeah. white. <laughs> With the eye holes cut out. It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. <laughs> all right let's go with resurrection i mean if it's whatever you think because i have no clue 
Okay. So if you think well, it's two. I do think it's two. You're going to look like an idiot, though, if you let me talk you out of it. <laughs> okay, well, it's two. Do two. Do two. All right. Correct. Good job. Oh. 64% got this right. Hopefully that redeems me in, in the eyes of the listeners. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if you lost that much esteem over a stupid quiz, then you don't need to be redeemed in their eyes. <laughs> okay. They can go fuck themselves, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but keep Welcome. listening folks yeah yeah for real no just remember this is a spooky edition we're all that's it yeah i meant yeah. go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> in the spooky way you know <laughs> all right what is the name of the killer in nightmare on elm street is it jan arden maury chrysler chad kroger or Freddy Krueger. I mean, this one's like a tee-up, right? I mean, this is... Unless they're going to do something goofy. This is the one that they put into the test so that people who are like about to give up and navigate away from this website will be like, ah, finally. Yeah. And the answer is Chad Kroger. <laughs> no, Freddy Krueger. 97% of people got that one right. So I loved Freddy Krueger like as a kid. I think that was the first horror franchise I really got. It wasn't the first I saw, but it was the first one I really got into. Yeah. And I watched it completely out of order. Bold move. I never watched those movies. I watched them with my little cousin starting when I was about seven or eight. Yeah, I fucking believe you. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> just sorry. for like... Yeah, when you said I saw it as a kid... I knew you weren't saying, like, as a middle schooler or a high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you meant elementary school. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I had seen all the Freddy Kruegers, like, well before, like, late. Do you guys have middle school there? Yeah, that's six, seven, eight. Okay, so, yeah, I would have seen them all before middle school, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we have middle school. We have Cheese Whiz. Actually, where I grew up, we didn't have middle school. It was it was oh. K to 8 and then 9 to 12. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to do this. What is Leatherface's family name? in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Was it Jones, Taylor, Sawyer, or Francis? Oh my God. I love this movie. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of it. I'm drawing a blank. I bet it's Francis, because that's like kind of an unsettling name, isn't it? Francis? I yeah. don't know. I'm leaning towards Sawyer or Jones. I'm guessing Jones. Jones? All right. Ah! It was what Sawyer. Was Sawyer. Oh, How are you going to get that? Can't even use context clues to get that. I was trying to think of like some of the other names and it was just escaping me. What's this? Like the Chrome Dome guy. He's the yeah. guy they pick up. I've, you've seen that movie, I take it. I think I've only seen the Jessica Beale one, to be honest. Oh, with really? You. Yeah. I really do like that movie a lot. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I went as Leatherface for Halloween one year when I was like, I don't know, probably like 12. <laughs> one of the last times I went trick or treating. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it's like the horror slasher movies just didn't have a pull for me. Yeah, know. but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's like a Bergman film or something. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's it's like a canonical film. It's like it has it has a lot of artistry to it. Yeah. And it is worth seeing. Okay. Certainly more so than the remake. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. I believe that. I know this one. What is Casey Becker cooking in the opening scene of Scream? Meatloaf. Lasagna, pizza, or popcorn? I don't know my screen movies. I'm guessing popcorn. It is popcorn. And I believe yeah. it's like that the Jiffy Pop. Super. We cool. never had that, but uh, I always loved that. The yeah. like the idea of that. Oh, dude! You know what I didn't realize? Okay, so I don't have a microwave, but I could be buying Jiffy Pop and just popping popcorn like that. Or you could be buying like a bag of popcorn and no, cooking it's not in a pot with the lid. It's very easy, and it tastes better. Oh, really? Like oh, it's a, awesome. Like a stock pot or something? Yeah, you just take a pot. You put a little bit of oil. It'll tell you the amount that you need on the package. It's very easy. Yeah. You put a little bit of oil, put it on the heat. You throw in a couple kernels, and when one pops, you throw in the rest of the amount, whether it's like a half cup or a cup, put on the lid, and you just kind of like shake it huh. until it yeah. stops popping, and then it tastes delicious. You put some melted butter on there. It tastes better than any other form of popcorn, aside from maybe movie popcorn. Yeah, damn. Kyle's and it's like two bucks. It's like two bucks for a bag that'll last you a year. Dude, you gotta post this on YouTube. It's Kyle's popcorn recipe. It there you go. Anim- we should make Potter's branded popcorn. I love it. <laughs> anyway, right, this so... woman, this woman was making popcorn. There you yeah, go. That's excellent. Oh my god! In the movie The Strangers, two thousand eight, the couple said to the killers, "Why are you doing this?" What did the killers reply with? I've never even heard of this movie. I remember this one. This has the, one of the dudes from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Ah, Danny DeVito. No, Glenn Howerton. Because you're a Leafs fan. Oh, what is this, a Canadian website? Yeah. Okay, now these are all, are all the provinces. And this G- is a, like a pimple right here. That's this Florida. Take pimple. off, it's Florida. I, I remember these pimples. This is Mexico. Okay, if these you, are the provinces. You squeeze it, then see what happens. Take off. <laughs> uh, because we feel like it, because you turned on the lights, or because you were home. I'm assuming it's because we feel like it. I think it's because you were home. Okay. Yeah. Never, never seen it. Never heard of it. All right. Let's see how I do. Correct. Yeah. All right. What is the eerie song heard throughout Insidious? Change in the House of Flies by the Deftones. Tiptoe through the Tulips by Tiny Tim, Minnesota. That's the creepiest possible song. One Dance by Drake or Dance with the Devil, Immortal Technique. <laughs> Immortal Technique is like this militant Muslim rapper. He's fucking insane. <laughs> well, I haven't heard One Dance or Dance with the Devil, but I guarantee yeah. you if that movie is creepy, Tiptoe Through the Tulips would be the song yeah. you do. Tiptoe Through the Tulips. <laughs> Let's go with that. Nice. Heck. Yes. <laughs> What is the name of the demon in The Exorcist? This one I know. Chris. Zuzu. Pazuzu. Lucifer. 
well, Lucifer isn't a demon, and neither's Chris. So. <laughs> well, it depends on the system of demonology, but uh, it's Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Correct. Oh, dude, we're fucking rocking this. Are you kidding? I feel me? bad because, like, the one <laughs> we've lost the one that I suggested in Albert Hitchcock's Psycho. What was Norman Bates's hobby? Collecting bugs, Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> knitting, taxidermy. It's got to be taxidermy. It's so so. I've never seen this movie. I've seen other Hitchcock. You've never films. seen Psycho? You yeah, should check never. out Psycho too. Really yeah, good. I liked Rear Window. I liked the what was the one like the one with the noose? Rope. Rope. Rope was sick. I like lots yeah. of his films, but never saw this one. I think it's actually based on a book that was based on Ed Gein. Yeah, I feel like it's collecting bugs. It's got to be taxidermy. There's no way. I uh, well, which one did you talk me out of? Because now it's my turn to talk you out of. Wait, did I talk you out of one? You just said you did. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about now. I'm I think lost. it's collecting bugs. I really. You think do. it's collecting bugs? <laughs> having having not seen it. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. Fine. Okay. I'm telling you, it's taxidermy. Cool. Having seen it. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, I accidentally shit. hit. I hit the taxidermy. Well, I so now our score is going to be off. Yeah. No, it's fine. You you said it. It's fine. What no, you deal? said it. We went with yours. <laughs> You ruined it. You ruined it. You lost for both of us. We're only going to get a high B now. What is the name of the clown in Stephen King's It? Is it Pennywise, Mr. Smithers? Hello, Smithers. You're quite good at turning me on. Um, you probably should ignore that. That's the sound I'm going to put in there. <laughs> Do you say that one? <laughs> Smithers! <laughs> What's the last one? Uh, clown face. It's Pennywise, right? Yeah, it's Pennywise. Yeah. How did we do? Okay, well, we got 90, probably actually got 80. But it's not like, wow, you're really good at this. It's just like 90%. You want to share this or not? Fuck off, asshole. <laughs> I was doing this too, clicking in the answers. But I would click in the one where I disagreed with you. Oh, did you? I got, I got 70%. <laughs> well, I would have gotten less if we were going toe-to-toe -to -toe because... There was a couple there that you only knew the answer to, so. Yeah. Well, you know what? Teamwork really does make the dream work. Well, that's enough cheese quiz for me. Guess we better be spooking <laughs> along. <laughs> oh, you get to say... <laughs> I said spooking. It's defined as a verb. Oh, okay. Because we're spook. both white. If you were black, I wouldn't have said it. <laughs> just, in, just in case. <laughs> I wish that the children could see, but I can't find them for the life of me. And there's Halloween spooks outside my window. Trick or treat. Now, on to That's All She Monroe Department. Is that where we're going? Yeah, that's right. So normally we explore the Monroeverse comic by comic, but today we're getting a little abnormal. We're veering from Z-Plan, Z-Plan. <laughs> Z-Plan. <laughs> is that a, is that a, what is that, Fantasy Island reference? <laughs> yeah, it's horror. That counts. No, it does it. He says, the plane, the plane. There you it's go. I'll plan. edit yours in. 
Anyway, I was flipping through, trademark, flipping through cover site. <laughs> Wait, that's not the website either. What the That's hell? my website. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have money to throw around on frivolous <laughs> prank domain names. That's all I have money for. I was flipping through some cracked monster parties from the 90s. And that was sort of like a super special kind of thing that they did. And I think they did them quarterly. So I think you got four monster parties a year if you were yeah. reading Cracked. And I came across this Bill Ray comic. It was originally from Cracked number 229 in 1987. And I thought, hey, let's look at what Ray was doing 10 years before Monroe. You know, yeah. it's Halloween. It's a night yeah. for experimenting with new and uncomfortable things. <laughs> so the comic we're looking at is Monster Babies Horror Tales. Mm-hmm. It is their, so, there's, it's a possessive, right? It's their horror tales. Yes, yes. Hold on, I'm just loading up the actual artwork here. Oh, it, you can barely tell. I actually hadn't noticed that. Yeah. But that makes sense with the context of the comic. But let's talk about the art first. So this is very different from certainly what Monroe would become. Yes. And even from what Monroe looks like where we're at on the second comic in or whatever. Yeah. Is he using like a brush on this? He's using like a brush for some of the, like the broad outlines. Yeah. I assume like on the face and stuff where there's sort of deep shadows and stuff to get a little bit of line weight variation. But this looks like it's mostly pen with some yeah. zipatone. Yeah. It's amazing. If you presented this to me without the context of Cracked Monster Party, I would not have guessed that Cracked produced this <laughs> well this is from the mort todd years so you've got bill ray you've got klaus uh dan that... klaus yeah. yeah and then also you know severin and ward is there i think rob or is there don Orheck. it's it's really quite a stacked roster that they had yeah. this is mostly the sort of style that i used to think about when i would think about bill ray because he was easily one of my top 20 cracked artists i think um, yeah, maybe he, he might even breach the top 10, but hold on. I mean, he's in my top 10 of mad. Like, how could he oh. <laughs> not? How could it be debatable whether he's in your top 10 of cracked? Well, I mean, I don't know. I would have to like I'd have to sit down and, and lay it out. But there's a lot of good cracked artists, right? Like, no, Klaus Ward, Severin <laughs> or Joukowsky yeah. or yes. heck. Uh, Rickigliano. You named um, all those Vic people Martin, before. Don Martin. <laughs> You named almost all those people before. Gary Fields, not, T. Colin. Stop. It's not 10. I think you just hit 10. And there's no way T. Colin is better than Bill Ray. Oh, I love T. T. Colin is fantastic. T. You Colin. Made that name up. Look, I don't mean. No, 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 no. I don't mean. I don't mean to. Like, I really like Bill Ray. So I don't want to. I don't want to say he's no T. Colin. But there's there's a certain there's something that T. Colin's got that Bill Ray doesn't and vice versa. You think he's better than Don Martin? I, th who I think who T. Colin's <laughs> better than Don Martin, in cracked, yeah. <laughs> Not broadly speaking, like if I had a list of cracked artists, like all the cracked artists in front of me, you'd pick ten before you pick Bill Ray. I might pick eleven That's before right. I pick Bill Ray, or I might pick eight before I pick Bill Ray. That's why I say it's debatable. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Well, but this thing is like with Mad is that Monroe is like so formative for you. If it wasn't, if you took Monroe out, Bill Ray wouldn't be a big player in Mad in your mind, I don't think. Yeah, because he wouldn't be in Mad. I think he had other stuff in Mad, didn't he? Yes. 
almost certainly. We could look it up on crackedcoversite.com. It now forward. <laughs> I, I had it forward to madcoversite.com. I felt like I felt a little guilty. Oh man. Anyway, I really like this artist. There's some other artists in Cracks whose name I can never remember. Who there's a few articles that I really love as well. But Bill Ray's up there for sure. And so I've, I saw this in this Monster Party issue that we're looking at. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where, where to go from here. So we talked about the art. Let's talk about the story. Can we talk about the art real quick a little bit more? Sure, yeah. Sorry. Not the chicken fat. We'll do chicken fat last. Okay, yes. Like you said, it's pretty different than Monroe. It, it still does feel a lot like his style, like the use of the zipatones, the bottom of that first page where you have this sort of like garbage pale kid. I couldn't tell what he was supposed to be. Like that sort of like sunburst behind him that's created by doing the hatching. Stuff like that really reminds me of him in Mad Magazine. Something like Well, the the background hatching of this is top notch. I I love it. Like so much of it just curves just perfectly. The whole thing has a nice sort of like sheen of gray over it, but it's still very, very clear, really strong, like negative spaces popping of like the white, you know, and just like everything sort of draws you in to look at it like that you're talking about in the sort of second panel there with the he actually has a, a button on says trash bucket kid but yeah he looks kind of like a treasure troll is what i initially thought but yeah. little things like he's got the gray tone on but these little areas of white these little highlights like on his nose and those yes. just really draw your eyes right in like right into his face which is so ugly and such a joy to look at all the details on it he does Um, it again in that penultimate panel where you have feel donna what is his name feel feel donahue in the penultimate panel you have that same thing where it's gray and then you have these like pops of white highlight on his hair but then his eyes too with this Mm -hmm. giant like looming silhouette behind him and it looks it's amazing it's functioning really well structurally but then also emotionally too it's like really kind of conveying the like the vibe of that that panel mm-hmm. so this is all very good um it's a little try hard compared to monroe where monroe is like it's a much more loosey lively brush style it's more laid back and i think you see that a lot in the lifespan of a cartoonist and their style is like when they're younger they're trying to like fill every space and like be as rigid and clean as possible and then often they'll settle into a more stylistic or almost like a poetic kind of way of drawing or something yeah maybe becoming more economical with their lines i think so but i think also becoming more comfortable with themselves and their abilities and so it's like they don't feel the need as much to compensate with all of this like time consuming sort of structural cross hatching and stippling and like all the little details and getting everything just right like you start to realize what you can kind of leave out Mm -hmm. more and what you can't he didn't leave much out i mean like in that the bottom of the first page there's bricks in the floor of the tomb and there's like hatching in that so you know you can see that they're like rounded these tiles on the floor mm-hmm. yeah he did a lot of work on this but yeah, i think it looks sure. awesome it, i don't know it does like when you, it does i love it when you say try hard i don't know i have like a kind of a negative <laughs> connotation with i was that. being a little facetious with that <laughs> but he it looks like a william stout compared to like a harvey kurtzman or something the way that he would draw which is almost like a like japanese calligraphy or something with the brush strokes and like the rhythm of the movement and like it's much more lyrical and musical i think 
Whereas this is more sort of rooted in a kind of like underground aesthetic, you know? Mm -hmm. But I I love both. I love both. Yeah. In fact, I probably love this stuff more if I'm being honest. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the, whatchamacallit now? What's it called? The story. story. Yeah. So basically the premise is that Field Downahue is interviewing the children of famous movie monsters. Do you want to say who they are? Yeah, we have, I guess, moving left to right, a dog, a poodle, which is the child of werewolves. I don't know. It doesn't say any in particular, but yeah, just two werewolves ended up with a little puppy as the, what's it called? Like a French poodle. She's got like the the poofs. Yeah. And then we have a little, like, it looks like a bookworm with with the big old glasses. Um, And that is. It actually looks like a glow worm. Like the dolls, a glowworm. Yeah. Good night, glowworm. Good night, friend. And it's machine washable. Glowworm from Play School. And that is the son of the fly. (laughs) We have uh, just a chubby baby in a Jason Voorhees mask. Obviously, that's the scion of Jason Voorhees. We have a little xenomorph, like a cute little xenomorph holding a jack in the box with a face hugger coming out of it that's Um, one of my favorite like pieces of chicken fat in this whole thing oh yeah Uh, i don't know there's a lot to choose from (laughs) then we have the i guess i don't know he's supposed to be a son of zombies oh is that what it is yeah he's like a zombie kid oh okay i when i saw a latch crypt kid i that's why i thought crypt keeper so it's a zombie baby then we have the child of the invisible man and finally freda krueger Okay, and so the idea is that in light of all these books that had come out around this time about uh, kids sort of doing tell-all books about their famous celebrity parents, yeah, Downahue's going to get the dirt on, on these kids and their parents. Wait, whose kids were spilling the tea? As so it says say. here, Moan Crawford. That's the only one I know for sure. Uh, that's Christina Crawford wrote a book in the late 70s called Mummy Dearest or Mother oh, Dearest. I remember that. I remember that yeah. movie. That movie was fucked up. That's a horror movie. That <laughs> movie fucking scared me so much. I saw it when I was like eight. Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? Why can't you treat me the way I would be treated by any stranger on the street? Because I am not one of your fans it's too much dude <laughs> and then uh there's uh batty davis boing crosby which like that's not really a horror name and president ray gun dude some of his kids came after him uh, I guess. I don't know. I haven't read these these books right. of theirs. But anyway, th- th- that's kind of a problem, I think, for reading this, is that this is from originally 1987. Yeah. So it's like I was four. <laughs> <laughs> My cultural references were pretty limited at the time. And uh, so he's going to get the dirt on their horrible parents. So I don't think we need to read these specifically, but maybe we can just say what the problems of each kid are. Yeah. Okay. So like, what is it? The kid for the, the latch crypt kid, his parents just leave him every night they just wander off what the fuck is that doesn't make any sense to me now that i think about it because zombies don't go out at night i mean zombies go out whenever yeah but this was a cool one because they pull in the mummy and dracula yeah so you have like (laughs) Wee herman 
<laughs> which I didn't really get, but you have them uh, complaining about how, you know, my dad works all day long or all night long and then sleeps all day. You know, the little mummy is like, well, yeah, you think that's bad. My mom hasn't changed my bandages in ages. <laughs> Okay, so the next we get Son of the Fly, and his father never thought of anyone but himself. He always hogged all the desserts and never had a kind word for him. And then you see the fly, he's got a donut there, and he says, buzz off, you maggot. These is my donuts. <laughs> and then next up, you have the xenomorph baby talking about a verbal abuse that it had to endure from its mother, which, I mean, that must be aliens, right? When did this come yeah, out? Yeah, the queen is in aliens. Yeah, and uh, she's fucking slapping his ass. He's over her, over her knee with her with that. her second mouth that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really funny visual. Yeah, uh, like he says, when uh, you get a tongue lashing from that broad, you know about it. <laughs> Although that one's funny because it's anatomical, but it doesn't actually fit the character at all. No, not at all, because there is no personality to the xenomorphs. Okay, so you got the invisible kid. And he's got a great line. I always feel like my father is just looking through me. <laughs> he's so involved with his community activities. And then they have a picture of his community activities and he's out flashing, flashing women. He's going, evening, ladies. Woo, woo. <laughs> he's got the trench coat open, but of course he's invisible. And he says, he always tells me children should be seen and not heard. I, I ask you, Phil, where does that leave me? <laughs> the, the thing I love about this, though, is the kid's outfit dressed like a very stereotypical teenage, like an MTV hat and like the big sunglasses and the Hawaiian shirt. I like that one. That's like the most stylized one in that respect. Yeah, and I, I like the uh, the dialogue there. I think on that one is really good. Squeezes a lot of jokes in there. Then we have the uh, the dog, just a normal dog, saying, ever since the very beginning, I've been a continual disappointment to my parents. And you have these fearsome-looking werewolves. I guess just one's a werewolf, right? There's a werewolf and then a whiff wolf. That's what a female werewolf is. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Yeah, it comes from German. So it's more like wolf. Yeah, but okay, because it's like there was a, a were-man and then a whiff-man. That's where, like the original where man and woman, the etymology yeah. of those comes from. Do you know what they call it when you get a whole bunch of werewolves together in one area so you can see them all at once? No. A Vimmelwolfer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> anyway, what's a little these... German humor for the German listeners? <laughs> what are these dog what are these werewolves is saying? That little sissy doesn't get it from my side of the family. <laughs> we have what'd you call her? Frida? Frida yeah. Kruger? Frida. She's upset because her father wanted someone who would take over the family business. And then there's a picture of her. She's painting nail polish on her Freddy Krueger glove. Yeah. He's like, you got to cut the cake with it at least. Yeah. Kind of a cool effect, like, because it's black and white and she's painting her nails. And so you obviously have the nail polish beside, but then using the highlights on the glove and then like little kind of, what are those called? Those little black marks. Oh, you're killing me. I can't remember. There's an, actually a word for them. There's a yeah. there's a book that was written that's like the glossary of comic terms. Yeah. And there's oh, there's really words cool. for everything. It's like an emanata or something, but I think there I think emanata is specifically like a thing emotional things. Like oh yeah. Those, like drops of sweat and stuff like that. I think there's a different term for it when it's these things, but Yeah. All right, then we have this uh little chubby chubby baby. We're in the Jason Voorhees mask. 
he's saying, well, you know, what a bunch of crybabies. I want to have my dad's job. The only trouble is every time he gets bumped off, the bum keeps coming back. That's the story of uh, millennials right there. That's it. The baby boomers. Yeah, they, they want to kill our parents and they they keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Louise, those bastards. Yeah, so then it kind of all devolves and little baby Jason, I don't know if they say his name. Anyway, he's like, uh, children of monsters used to be respected. Son of Frankenstein, son of Kong, Dracula's daughter. Heck, even Dracula's dog, Zoltan, got in on the act. Uh, and uh, it's so hard to say Downahue. Downahue, yeah. he's like pointing at me, he's like, I'm not scared of you and uh, I'm not scared of nothing because I'm a grown-up adult. <laughs> and they're like, we know what you're afraid of. You're always looking over your shoulder for that humongous quivering mass that's creeping up on you. Turn around. Oh, and of course, who is it? Oprah. Oprah. I feel like fat Oprah jokes, those are really sort of passe now. It's because she's not fat. Well, and you're not supposed to make fun of fatties for being fat. So it's both. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah. feel like Oprah being fat jokes, like those were everywhere up until about the mid 90s it was like killing barney or something you know it was like just a yeah. go-to joke and then it just kind of went away um, yeah. i guess she lost the weight basically <laughs> or whatever but and then you'd see it a little bit there'd be jokes about her losing the weight weight and gaining it and now yeah. no one talks about it well maybe we should bring it back there you go <laughs> yeah bring hey, back body shaming oprah no no hey. no no, no. We... <laughs> hey fat so no, why'd you look, burn up Maui, there's right? nothing wrong with being a fatty you know i think fatties are uh what's a nice word that rhymes with fatties fatties, fatties are goodies are... we like we like the fatties <laughs> fatties are yes all fat fatties. chicks that's what we say and also yes skinny chicks and in between <laughs> we're body positive here on uh, yeah potter zb or should we call yeah. it botter zb the body shaming podcast <laughs> <laughs> Should we discuss the chicken fat in this? I forgot there's chicken fat still. Oh, my God. What are some of your favorite chicken fats in here? Okay, favorite chicken fats? Top 10 chicken fats? Wait, you have 10? Kurt, no, it was just a throwback to your top 10 crack oh, okay. people. I have a One, list of about seven. All right, the cartoon characters that keep appearing, Kermit the Frog, Bugs Bunny, Goofy, Donald Duck, and then there's like a man. I don't know who that man is supposed to be. Peter Vinkman. That's a line from Ghostbusters. I'm going to go for broke. I am madly in love with you. I don't believe this. Will you please leave? And then she threw me out of her life. She thought I was a creep. She thought I was a geek, and she probably wasn't the first. You are so odd. I thought it was Peter Venkman. I thought it was Bill Murray, but I was like, no, that can't be. I must be seeing things. <laughs> it's a second Ghostbusters reference in here because there's also a movie accurate Slimer. Yes, I love the Slimer. But the other thing that I love is there's a cactus in a pot that is named Dave. I have that. That's the first one on my list. I have these arranged by panel. So first panel, I have cactus named Dave. And yeah. then also the Xenomorph with the Jack in the Box. It's a face hugger. Those are my two favorites in that panel. Yeah. I didn't love the cartoon characters popping up, like there's Bugs Bunny and Donald Duck you and Goofy, like because I feel like they didn't really fit in. Yeah, I guess you're right. Some of them I liked more than others. Look at I could be so easily convinced. Yeah. Okay, and then the second panel, it's a movie-accurate Slimer. 
that's a good panel. There's lots of stuff. That's with Pee Wee. What's the next one? Oh, the one uh, with the Xenomorph. He's wearing a button that says Ripley Fan Club. I mean, that like, one's kind of funny because, like, you know, you're rebelling against your parents. Yeah. And the other two here, I don't get. Like, one, why the forty nine ninety five? I don't know what that relates to. Were there like expensive toys made of this? They made a Xenomorph right, right when it came out, like Globo or someone made it. And yeah. then there was toys in the 90s. So I think it's yeah. like supposed to be like clothing or something, like it's a rich kid. I don't know. Why the Pillsbury Doughboy? I couldn't figure it out. I was racking my brain trying to figure out why the Pillsbury Doughboy there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I had an answer for you. Even more confusing to me is the dog on the collar. It says, I love Lauren Green. Well, that one is on my list because Lauren <laughs> Green was a spokesman for Alpo Dog Food. Alpo. It's got the beef dogs love to eat. That's it. That's it. That's because I yeah, looked at was... I looked him up and I it was like, you know, he was on what was it like some cowboy Battle show Galactica. He was on cowboy shows and stuff, I think. Yeah. I didn't think it could pop. All right, well, makes, he was on all the, he was the Alpo guy for yeah. like a decade. Oh my God. And this is one of the few cartoon inserts that actually makes sense is you have Goofy sticking his head in saying Garsh. Yeah. And he's looking all horny or whatever. I thought he was a cow though. Well, I mean, that's a recent discovery, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then just fast forwarding, there's some uh, pretty good hair jokes. I had that. those too. <laughs> Yeah, hair club for men and made in Korea. Do you remember those infomercials? I'm not only the hair club president, but I'm also a client. That's good. I like the little cross band-aid at the end, too. Oh, yeah. And the hole in her shoe. I like that. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. It's a classic. It took me a while to realize that's what that was. I always would draw a swirl because a lot of times it would be stylized as a swirl. Yeah. Before realizing like, oh, that's like the hole in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, what'd you think of this? I loved it. It was so much fun to read. It was pretty funny. It was just marvelous to look at, though. Yeah. Is this like Bill Ray? Like you you wouldn't expect to see him for you? No, I guess it's not. It was really cool to see so much detail, though, because I got so accustomed to his work in Monroe, you know, like we were talking about with like the zombie kid, seeing that level of attention to the drawing. It was, uh, yeah. enjoyed that. To like detail and texture and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I remembered looking at this when I was whatever, 11, 12, and uh, really loving it. I used to get those monster parties, right? Because they just came out, I think, quarterly. So they were yeah. great because they would recycle a lot of older crack stuff. So you got to see a lot of this stuff. All right. Yeah. So let's get moving on. We need a spooky outro, though. Ooh. All right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome now to the seduction of the innocent department. That's right. For comic fans, there's nothing spookier than the Comics Code Authority. Dude, know what you got to do? You know that, um, what is that, Law and Order? After I say seduction of the innocent department, go. Why would, what's it have to do with uh, Law and Order, though? I don't know. It just sounds like it would be fitting. Why don't I just put any sound in there? <laughs> oh, you know what I should put in? I should put in the... Why not? <laughs> or the duck. 
<laughs> Look, I will try to work that in somewhere, but I think I'm going to probably put a spookier sound. Like, All right. I'll have some like spooky organ music when we come in. Anyway, it was an industry-imposed censor board that dominated the American comic industry from 1954 to 2001. And idiots, it is restrictive. <laughs> I thought you were about what to you... drop a, a different R word. <laughs> it's <laughs> so. What are your thoughts on the Comics Code Authority? Growing up, did you notice it? Did you care? No, I don't think I noticed it, and I don't think I cared very much. And even when I initially learned about it, I don't think it really got my ire up that much because I grew up with something called the MPAA, which was another self-imposed censorship board essentially Dude, those are not equivalent the mp I, well okay the mpea well, came stop, after stop stop stop, stop. <laughs> let me finish my thought so in my mind i saw the mpaa and i was like well it didn't seem to affect movies that much how much could it have possibly affected comics <laughs> Well, you know, they did try to bring in, in the 80s and early 90s, I think there was an attempt to bring in an MPAA rating system for comics. Because the thing about the Comics Code Authority, I think um, Scott McCloud put it this way in Reinventing Comics. Mm -hmm. He said something along the lines of that it was as if the standards for getting a G rating were twice as rigorous, and that was the only rating you were allowed to have. Yeah. Whereas, like, with the MPAA... That came in to replace the Hayes Code, which was very similar to the Comics Code Authority. And that basically said, okay, well, now we'll have ratings so you can show your movies wherever. And that was, it's all about distribution, right? Because you couldn't sell comics at a newsstand unless you had the Comics Code Authority seal on it. Yeah. Well, growing up, I noticed it on covers. And so I recognized it as like a symbol, but I never really gave it much thought because I read Mad and Cracked and Heavy Metal. And I didn't have access to comic stores. So I didn't know there was like comics that you could get that were outside of the Comics Code Authority, which you could get in the 90s if you went to the direct market, which was sort of burgeoning. But yeah. I didn't have access to that. So to me, it was just like, ah, it's just something that's on the cover of comics. Mm -hmm. And comics are just kind of not that good compared to Mad and Cracked. Yeah. So we have here the Comics Code Authority of 1950. Four. Should we just read the preamble or? Let's give an introduction to what the Comics Code Authority is and how it came about really quick. Yes. And also this way we get to bring up a very creepy character of the Comics Code Authority, who I think is Dude, a don't real talk about of comics. William Gaines like that. <laughs> that we were body positive. All right. He's not creepy. William Gaines. <laughs> no, uh, Frederick Wortham. Lightning crash. <laughs> I'll, yeah i'll down pitch that so you know comic books came about in the 1930s and by the 40s there was already public concern over the effects of comic books on children but the moral panics over comic books and juvenile delinquency didn't really kick off until uh frederick wortham hit the scene and uh, we've talked about him before but in 1948, he published an article in Collier's called Horror in the Nursery, which was followed up by the Psychopathology of Comic Books in the American Journal of Psychotherapy, and then his heavy-hitting book in 1954 called The Seduction of the Innocent. And uh, honestly, what a sick title. He's got away with titles. In the American Journal of Psychotherapy, I think it's that article, there's just like in big letters, marijuana of the nursery. <laughs> oh, that's what they called breast milk? 
<laughs> yeah, they're trying to push formula hard. Wortham surveyed the reading habits of youths in juvenile detention centers and found that most of them read comic books. And then he argued that crime comics, which is a category to him that includes superhero and horror comics. Yeah. So those are all crime comics. And he said that those had both an overt and also subliminal portrayals of sex, drugs, violence, and that they were causing the children who read them to become juvenile delinquents. Mm -hmm. Beyond simply glorifying crime, he felt that crime comics were instructive. And so in his book, he has examples of kids who drew a map before committing a crime for doing some, some thefts, saying, yeah. oh, they learned how to draw a map from comics. He also said that Superman was a fascist comic and that it used the muscular male body as a moral symbol, not unlike the Nazis, who also wanted to create Superman. And that Superman was also a nationalist and a messianic kind of figure, kind of Hitler-esque. And that yeah. he was very violent, etc. Batman and Robin, secret okay. homosexuals. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if you ever noticed that, but... That rumor never died. No. <laughs> Do you think they're the gayest of the superhero combo? It sort of depends on the era. I think that, yeah. like, Aquaman sometimes That's is true. pretty gay. But the thing is that Batman and Robin are, like, the archetype for the like the winter spring romance <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway and then also that uh wonder woman was full of sadomasochistic bondage scenes uh and also that she was a lesbian and we we know that <laughs> having read yeah. them. uh and then he argued that also comics were loaded with subliminal depictions of sexuality so this is from his book i want to show you something and tell me what you see here breasts <laughs> where where are the breasts? I mean, I see breasts on the woman, but then I also see his shoulders like a butt cheek. This is this oh! is the next panel. <laughs> yeah, dude, I knew it. I saw it. There you go. So like, I did had no idea what he was talking about, and so basically, you see that as a butt. I thought that was supposed to be like pubes and like a leg. No, dude, dude that's like you are so desensitized to sexual muscles, human muscles that <laughs> you just can't see a butt when it's right in front of you on a man's shoulder. I think he was going down. He was picking up the uh, artistic muscle man magazines that you could get at the time and yeah. trying to justify like, oh, I'm only jerking off to the subliminal <laughs> naked women that are on this buff, oiled up dude's body. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's fine. Don't kink. I you. think it's a little spurious, that claim. And then, of course, real crime and horror comics were extremely violent, of which, you know, they weren't appropriate for children. But he argued that those books combined sex and violence, encouraged sadomasochistic tendencies. And this came at a time when there was already a moral panic brewing over juvenile delinquency broadly at the time, due in part to rising youth crime rates, which like there were social factors for that, right? Like, you know, it was right after the war, you know, he had all these latchkey kids, kids without fathers, you know. Yeah, bunch of Italians. Hey, paisanos! But his credentials and his expertise, they legitimized the fear in this growing moral panic and sort of gave the moral panic over juvenile delinquency a target, which was comics. So what followed was a series of highly publicized hearings by the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee investigating comic books and juvenile delinquency, of which Wortham was brought in as an expert consultant. Also, William Gaines was brought in. William Gaines, yeah. publisher of MAD. 
but also EC titles like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Crime, Suspense, and all that. And uh, he gave it testimony as well, which is very interesting. We should read the transcripts of that sometime in a future episode. Yeah. But basically the result was the Comics Code Authority. The industry decided that, look, we'll impose a system of censorship and that way we won't have one imposed on us from above. Yeah. They created the Comics Code Authority. Yeah. You mentioned two things. Well, one thing in particular, and that is like the level of appropriateness of these comics. Like some of the stuff EC was putting out, these horror comics that I've seen, like they're fucked up. I wouldn't let my own kids read them right now. But it's not as though like that were the only thing available, right? There was like the funny, funny animal comics or whatever they're called. There's tons of kids comics available. It's not like this was all there was. No. And also there were adults reading comics. Like that's the thing that's never talked about, like in this whole equation is like it's just taken as a given that only kids are reading those comics and that these are like targeting them like we've mentioned before boy island on pinocchio or whatever it's called it's treated as that sort of thing but adults were reading comics and you can see comics at the time that are specifically aimed at adults or trying to aim at that audience more but you know kids were reading them and probably what they needed was like a rating system like you would have for movies but instead Um, we got something like the haze code But as we go forward reading this, I want you to think about this, that Wortham said of the comics code that it was an inadequate half measure and basically did nothing to like solve the problem. So he wanted to go way, way farther. Basically, he wanted to ban comic books completely as a form. Wow. All right. Well, that is an interesting outlook. There is one part of the Gaines transcript that I want to read, and maybe it's more apropos later. That's a, a misuse of the phrase apropos. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's more appropriate later on once we've read some of this stuff. So that's sure. I have a couple things to chime in as we go through this, too. All right. So we've got the original code here. So it's in multiple parts. I'm not sure how many parts, but the last part is advertising. I think we can probably skip that. But in my opinion, that's the only good part of the code, basically, where it's like you can't advertise like sex toys to kids and you can't like scam kids. (laughs) You can't do all this stuff. It's like I think there should be like some advertising standards were definitely needed. But here we go. So we've got the Code for Editorial Matter, General Standards, Part A. Do you want to read this first one? This is number one. The crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. So there's a lot to say there, but I think the next few are all sort of very similar. So maybe we should just kind of trade off on these until we get to uh, number six. I think that's like a straight run of things that are all kind of saying the same thing. So number two, no comics shall explicitly present the unique details and methods of a crime. Number three, policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect established authority number four if a crime is depicted it shall be as a sordid and unpleasant activity (laughs) i love that one number five criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates a desire for emulation number six in every instance good shall triumph over evil and the criminal punished for his misdeeds one of the things that jumps out to me is that very first one. Crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal. So no like, oh, my, my mom's sick and I don't know what to do. And 
gosh, I'm just going to knock over this jewelry store just so that I can keep us out of the poor house and give her her, I don't know, liver medicine. It's purely propaganda. You can't have any kind of multifaceted criminals. Uh, I think that part was actually amended in the 70s to yeah. make it so that you could create sympathy so long as you sort of laid out that it was ruining their lives. Like you could create sympathy for them as long as they were suffering. So you could it. have Mr. Freeze who is committing these crimes as a desire to cure Nora, his wife, but it must be portrayed as bad. And he's also miserable because he commits crimes. That's actually a character I'd be very interested to see how he was depicted early on in the uh, Comics Code Authority. Yeah, as I brought him up, I was thinking my biggest memories is that Bruce Timm's Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I don't know when Mr. Freeze came about. He was in the uh, 60s show, right? Yeah. Mr. Freeze, I believe. Batman, but, but, but you were supposed to be a famous Frosty Freezy by now. Exactly what we wanted you to believe. <laughs> well, I mean, this is all bullshit. It's like, one, crime is cool. And pretending that it's not cool isn't going to convince anyone that it's not cool. When they realize that it's cool, but that you should only do it a little bit in moderation, they're going to go hard and just do as much crime as they can. So, you know, I think it's better to be honest about crime and say, you know, you shouldn't do crimes because, you know, you wouldn't want crimes done onto you. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like, also, it's a lot easier in some ways if you're not doing crimes because you don't have to be paranoid that you're going to go to jail. <laughs> well, yeah, the other sort of propagandistic part of this is like worship of authority and the justice system, which. Yeah, there's like a, there's a natural hierarchy that needs to be constantly reinforced. Like it's almost like a religious text or something, the way it's being presented, you know? Yeah. Very, comics need to be instructive to kids. They can't be entertaining in this way. Or honest about like the fact that there are crooked cops and judges who don't uh, know how to execute the law, basically. Well, and p people should learn that, right? <laughs> like, I don't think the people making these standards believed it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's what they wanted parents to see when they looked at these things so that they could sell them. And, you know, also so that the people making it could kind of push other people out of the market, right? Because yeah. the Comics Code Authority is kind of really set up to help superheroes more than anything. Because superheroes can do this. They can present crimes without creating sympathy for the criminal all day, you know? Yeah. I mean, now they don't. Now, because it's more entertaining to actually have characters that are rounded and have motivations that you might have sympathy for. Yeah. The whole thing is just like policemen, judges, government officials, comics yeah. can't upset the status quo. No. That whole thing we've just been talking about. It's why I tell my children, just because something is illegal doesn't mean it's immoral. That's right. Yeah. Now pass that bong. Now let's go throw rocks at squirrels. Now let's go whip donuts at old people. <laughs> and then of course the last one is every instance of good shall triumph over evil and the criminal punished for his misdeeds, right? Which is like, that doesn't happen a lot. Often when criminals are punished, it's not for their misdeeds, you know? <laughs> no. no, it's on a, a technicality. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical agony, gory or gruesome crime shall be eliminated. There you go. I mean, that's all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of is, right? Like, especially what you were saying before about like this versus the MPAA. Mm -hmm. There is no rating system. Everything is just G. Exactly. This is all yeah. you're getting. 
Yeah, oh. it's like every comic has to be for every age. Like, so if like a four-year-old picks it up, it's like, nope, no worries. <laughs> yeah. So number eight, no unique or unusual methods of concealing weapons shall be shown. I just like that one. <laughs> well, it's so bizarre that they're like, we're protecting children. Yeah. Right? <laughs> From learning how to keister a knife or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, very little concern about why the child has a snub nose revolver, but let's just, he can't know how to hide it. My brother's son, they were coming back from the States. They were down in the States for something. They were coming back and they're driving through the border and the border guards like, oh, do you have anything to declare? Do you have any uh, firearms or mace? And my brother said no, and they drove through him. His son was like, Dad, what's mace? And he goes, oh, it's like a, it's like a weapon. It's in like a hairspray can kind of thing. And it's illegal in Canada. And he's like, hmm, you know what you do? You just peel the label off of the hairspray, put it on your mace. You can bring that right through. <laughs> probably like 10 or something. <laughs> and this one ties into an earlier one where they said you shall not present the unique details and methods of crime. Yeah. Right? Which is great for superheroes because they can be like, wow, we're making a giant moon laser. Yeah. Because like, you know, kids aren't going to build a giant moon laser to like, you know, steal the donation box from church or whatever. Yeah. You can't show them how to pick a lock. No. All right. Number nine instances of law enforcement officers dying as a result of a criminal's activity should be discouraged that's another one that got amended in the in the 70s with like yeah. some caveats where it's like okay you can show it but it's only for like the emotional resonance of the story and you know it has to be that it was bad guys that did it and they're have to be honored as heroes afterwards or whatever yeah um the crime of kidnapping shall never be portrayed in any detail nor shall any profit accrue abductor or kidnapper the criminal or the kidnapper must be punished in every case. This is one that makes me ask a lot of questions, right? Like, was there a lot of like juvenile kidnappings going on at the time? Yeah. Were there many kids? Oh, maybe that's where kidnapping comes from. It's when you're taking these kids are doing child. it. <laughs> Help, I've been kidnapped. I don't know. That's such a weird one. Like, it seems so specific. Like, it makes me wonder, like, if there was a specific case of like kids trying to kidnap themselves and extort their parents or something. Yeah. I don't know. 11. The letters of the word crime on a comics magazine cover shall never be appreciably greater in dimension than the other words contained in the title. The word crime shall never appear alone on a cover. And then restraint in the use of the word crime in titles or subtitles shall be exercised. So I did a video for my series Canonically Crumb a yeah. few months back on Harvey Kurtzman, and I looked at crime titles... So here's just some of the crime comics I came up for a scene where I was like talking about how many crime comics there were with crime on it. Yeah. So we've got Inside Crime, Underworld Crime, Crime and Punishment, Crime and Justice, March of Crime, Police Against Crime, Almanac of Crime, All Famous Crime, Crime Suspense Stories, The Perfect Crime, Crime Detective, Crime Does Not Pay, The Crime Clinic, True Crime, The Crime Machine, Down With Crime, Crime Incorporated, Crime Fighting Detective, Crime Reporter, Famous Crimes, Fight Against Crime, Horror Suspense, Crime Files, Crime Mystery, Crime Smashers, Thrilling Crime, Crime Patrol, Crimes by Women, and Men Against Crime. How the hell are you expected to find your crime magazine if there's that many books about crime? I think probably a lot of these were fly by night, so probably you wouldn't go to the stand and there'd be like, ah, here's... How many? 28. There wouldn't be 28 crime comics on the shelf. There'd be like 12. 
Okay. Okay. I guess that makes sense. This is where I think my favorite quote from what's his face? Ed Gein. I think this is where my favorite quote from Ed Gein's fucking fuck. William Gein. <laughs> William Gein. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. That's your mom's face. <laughs> He's eating it. <laughs> <laughs> She's making a little hat out of her leg. <laughs> when he was hauled before Congress and was giving a speech, uh, this was my favorite line in the whole thing. Oftentimes, it seems to get overlooked. It's not the most quoted one, but it's it's this. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget that they are citizens too and entitled to select what to read or do? Do we think our children are so evil, so simple-minded, that it takes a story of murder to set them to murder, a story of robbery to set them to robbery? Jimmy Walker once remarked that he never knew a girl to be ruined by a book. Nobody has ever been ruined by a comic. But the thing with the crime, right, or like, don't show how crime is done, don't explain how to hide a weapon, don't use the word crime, it like it speaks to this quote, right? Where it's just like, is the word going to cause them to be like, oh shit, I didn't know but crime that's the thing. was an option. All of these moral panics that have to do with media, they all make the same assumption. Whether it's like, you know, the satanic panic in the eighties or heavy metal or violence in video games or women reading novels. I mean, that one they had a point. <laughs> just kidding. I <laughs> But they all take this assumption that, I mean, even with like cancel culture, even if you want to extend it to that, where people are like wanting to cancel things, people only really believe that the things that people read will have a direct one-to-one -one result of them doing the bad thing. Yeah. They only believe it when it's a thing that they don't like. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays you've got this like war between the sort of identity left or whatever, woke liberals or whatever you want to call them, and like the anti-woke right and it's like on one side it's like we want to ban books with representation of lgbtq people and all this stuff because it's going to turn our kids gay but then on this other side you've got the people saying like well no they're not going to turn your kids gay but we want to ban these books with racist imagery in them because they're going to turn people racist and the people yeah. on the right are like no 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 yeah maybe we I mean, some of them agree that racism is bad, but it won't turn your kids racist, you know? And yeah. so it's like people only believe that when it's something they don't like or they have some sort of visceral reaction to. If it's something they already like, then it's like, no, 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 we can't censor this in any kind of way. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know what my point is there, but that's always the underlying assumption about these moral panics is that it's this idea that people are going to see something and then do something. Yeah. And it's going to cause more of it if you have it. But, you know, the same people that whatever want to ban, you know, movies where superheroes are women and are too good at doing something or whatever. It's like those people are, you know, they're not concerned about the violence in the media. Like violence in video games would never make them be violent. Yeah. Well, and, and often that's, uh... there's like a paternal element too, where it's, oh, I can watch this and it won't affect me, but other people are stupider and they, so they can't watch it. Yeah. I, yeah. That's like the most insulting part of it. Right. I do that with my kids where I'm like, uh, I'll let them watch things that maybe are a little more violent, but shy away from stuff that is sexual. That's because you're an American. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's part of like the American media morality or whatever. Yeah. If you were French, it would be the other way around, you know? <laughs> yeah. And look at, you know, what's funny. They're ready to burn shit down at the drop of a hat, aren't they? Who's the French? Yeah. If you try to take away their long weekends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, if you want to like move up retirement age by a year or whatever, it's like, yeah, they'll be flipping over cars in downtown Paris. Yeah, it's wild. Good those, on. Those, those people are crazy. I love it. But then right, like so... something like Fifty Shades of Grey is like rated PG-13 over there. <laughs> and here it's like NC-17. <laughs> yeah. All right. So general standards. Part this B. is part B. This is similar to the crime. No magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title. This is one of the things people point to to say that the comics code was basically designed to put EC Comics out of business. Yeah, dude. Crime, horror, terror. I'm surprised they didn't have suspense. Yeah. I, I bet you that was bandied about, you know? Like, yeah. I really do believe that part of this was for a sort of select group of industry insiders, specifically like whatever DC would have been at the time if they were DC or whatever. I think they were DC. I don't think they were, maybe it was like, you know, they had the national logo and then the DC yeah. inside. Were they timely before that? Or is that, that became Marvel? That was Marvel. But uh, yeah, it's it was probably them and like Charlton and yeah. whoever the big ones were. Dell uh, and like Classics Illustrated, they didn't even use the Comics Code Authority because nobody questioned that their comics were appropriate for kids. Yeah. It's Little Women, bitch. What do you What do you think? Or it's Donald Duck. It's Mickey Mouse. It's yeah. Bugs Bunny. It's like people didn't worry about that so much. All... Yeah. So it seemed like oh. it was it was targeted directly at them and the horror comics. Yeah. One. Yeah. Number two. All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. You know that Which... one's funny because it's like when I go to the comic store. The first section I go to is the horror, excessive blood, gory, gruesome crime, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism section. Yeah. <laughs> is it burgeoning now? <laughs> now that the code is gone? It's higher up on the shelf. Yeah. Um, I actually was recently reading an interview with Robert Crumb from the late 80s, and they were talking about the possibility of bringing in like an MPAA style system. And him saying like, oh, okay, well, you know, in theory, I think it's good, but a lot of people are telling me that if they do that then anything that's rated above like the PG rating, just comic stores won't carry it because they won't think it's worth the hassle. Yeah. So all the underground stuff will get like turfed out. And his sort of stuff, that underground stuff, it was being seized and comic stores are being shut down and people were being thrown in jail. Like Jeez. it was crazy. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Well, related to that last one, number three, all lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be uh, eliminated. I actually I, got I a minor in my uh, arts degree on lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustration. I don't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was Effectively. Trying a, I'm trying to have a serious conversation right I'm now, sorry. Kyle. I'm sorry. I don't understand the difference between those two, the two and the three. It seems redundant. Unsavory, gruesome illustrations. I'm guessing lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations is like Basil Wolverton. Oh, ugly drawings yeah. and stuff like that. Lena um, the hyena. Yeah. There's also stuff that's that's in here that is intended to be flexible and specifically to so they can like say no to whatever they want. Number four, inclusion of stories dealing with evil shall be used or shall be published only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue, and in no case shall evil be presented alluringly, nor so as to injure the sensibilities of the reader. I can't wait in casual conversation for somebody to say something so I can reply, excuse me, you're injuring my sensibilities. <laughs> Number five, 
Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires, and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. First off, that should be lycanthropy. Was that this was like lycanthropy? Isn't that lycanthropy? I don't know, but I thought lichen were aren't those like the little fungus that grow on trees? And those rocks? are, yeah. Actually, I used that word the other day because I, I said to my son because he tried to pick up a sick that was covered in lichens. Yeah. And I was like, you don't want to pick up that stick thinking it's going to be like shedding lichen all over my house. Yeah. And then I stopped and thought and was like, wait, no, wait, that, is that werewolves? <laughs> <laughs> so interesting about this, this, this is one of the, the rules that really kind of helped bring down the comics code or to really mm -hmm. start changing it. And that was in part because there was a DC writer named Marv Wolfman. <gasps> that was his name. And he was not initially allowed to be referenced. And so DC had to start publishing the names of their artists at the beginning of their books or in their writers and stuff so that they could reference them in the book. And that opened the floodgates. And so the code was amended to allow vampires, ghouls, and werewolves when handled in the classic tradition, such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high caliber literary works written by Edgar Allan Poe, Saki, Conan Doyle, and other respected authors whose works are read in schools and around the world. You'll note zombies were still not allowed for lack yeah. of literary merit, but Marvel got around it by calling them Zuvembies. Oh, <laughs> Marvel always does weird shit like that, where they like change the name slightly. Do you yeah, think that's that... got to be that's got to be a Stan Lee move? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that they used the term "Walking Dead" in the comic as reference to the Comics Code Authority? Do you think Kirkman thought of that? I don't think. I know. So, it... I think that ter yeah. that term already like existed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, it did. It most certainly did. But also, I don't do... think this is like. It's That'd not like people people don't care around the Comics Code Authority. It's not like Mao's Little Red Book or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That'd be a cute little like apocryphal story, right? Like just he should start saying that. Like I did it as like an homage to like the tyranny of the Comics Code Authority. Yeah, if you're a liar and you just want to say things. And... It's called, yeah, I, I guess if you're a truth absolutist, you can't have fun with history. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I guess. I don't know. I don't think that one is so... So interesting. There was a series of comics called, uh, I think, Frederick Wortham Comics or like underground comics. And they were like the most lewd, offensive comics that people could come up with. Yeah, that's fun. General standards, part C. All elements or techniques not specifically mentioned herein, but which are contrary, I love this, to the spirit and intent of the code and are considered violations of good taste or decency shall be prohibited. That's fucking amazing that they, yeah. they're just like, also, whatever the fuck we forgot. You know what that is? That's like the legal equivalent to when you go into like a dry cleaners and they have a sign that says we're not responsible for lost or stolen items or whatever. Yeah. It's licensed to steal is what that yeah. is. <laughs> oh They're saying that we can say no to whatever. And I bet you. So there was that big case of Judgment Day you've probably heard of. Anyway, it was a comic about a black astronaut, basically. It wasn't about a black astronaut initially, but that was like the reveal. And yeah. it's like this astronaut that goes to a planet. I think there's like orange and blue robots or something. And there's like a. Mm hierarchy of them yeah. and it's sort of like all laid out to be like how ridiculous is it? the arbitrary color of your robots determines like what their life would be and the last scene it's like oh i'm glad our planet got past that a long time ago and the astronaut takes off his helmet and he's uh he's a black dude the commas code authority didn't want to have it put in and so there's a quote here this is a quote by al feldstein mm -hmm. this is about the conversation between like the commas code 
authority office, whatever they're called, and William Gaines. So he said it can't be a black. So I said, for God's sakes, Judge Murphy, that's the whole point of the goddamn story. So he said, nope, it can't be a black. Bill just called him up and raised the roof. He threatened a lawsuit. And finally, they said, well, you got to take the perspiration off. I had the stars glistening in the perspiration on his black skin. Bill said, fuck you. And he hung up. And the comic ran uncensored. They ran the comic. But Gaines was so fed up that he dropped all comic publication except for Mad, basically, right then. And he just yeah. did Mad as a magazine. Yeah. Golly. But yeah, it's like that was the last straw. He was like trying to get these comics published. You can see it because the comics code comes in in 54. And it's like Mad becomes a magazine right away. Now, I mean, if you ask Tom Richmond, <laughs> he'll tell you that it's because Harvey Kurtzman got an offer to edit Pageant Magazine. Yeah. But I mean, it comes so in concert with the comics. code. It comes exactly in line with when the comics code comes in. And if you're a magazine, you can do what you want. You're not beholden to that code. And so I think it's kind of a bit of both. But Mad became a magazine. Panic did not. Panic went no. with the Comics Code Authority. So they were running simultaneously. So in 1954, the last month when there was no Comics Code, Mad and Panic was out. Mad was monthly. Panic was bi-monthly. The next month, Mad switches to bi-monthly. So it doesn't come out the next month. It comes out the following month as a magazine, bi-monthly magazine, without the Comics Code. Panic comes out that same month with the Comics Code Authority. It does one more issue after that, and then it's done. There's no more comics yeah. from EC Comics. I mean, that that's like the worst part about, like, imagine a world where EC Comics continued putting out comics. You know, when you hear like these stories about like, imagine like where technology would be if like Rome hadn't fell, you yeah. know, if like technology just continued from that point on instead of having like the Dark Ages or whatever. I feel like that with comics. I feel like comics would be more advanced and maybe like a higher art form. I think yeah. they probably would have achieved the graphic novel earlier and sort of become more mainstream in that way and ne never had quite the same stigma that they're for kids because there was already a, a stigma that comics were for kids. And then they basically said, no, actually, yeah, they are for kids, only for kids. Yeah. And so that's basically how it was unless you were going out of your way to read, you know, National Lampoon or whatever, you know, actual magazines. It's like if you're an adult, you read magazines. If you're a kid, you read comic books. Yeah. All right. So we, we should probably power through these three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait, where did we leave off? So um, general standards, part C. They have a thing about special precautions to avoid references to physical afflictions and deformities. This one's funny. Although slang and colloquialisms are acceptable, excessive use of it should be discouraged. And wherever possible, good grammar should be employed. <laughs> uh, the next section, religion. Just one. This is very interesting, I think. Ridicule or attack on any religious or racial group is never permissible. I feel like that one's worded in an interesting way where it says, I guess it says ridicule or attack, but that doesn't leave a lot of room for like criticism, you know, especially when it's no. like they've also got authority figures need to be respected. So it's like yeah. you can't you can't do any kind of criticism of like, you know, corrupt churches or anything like that. Yeah. Or Italians. Intelligent Italians? Something's wrong. I guess they count as a racial group, I guess, in the 50s. Yeah. Now they're just white. Ugh. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick's getting I out his calipers. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to do some phrenology <laughs> on the Italians. Costume. Costume. Nudity in any form is prohibited, as is indecent or undue exposure. Number two, suggestive and salacious illustration or suggestive posture is unacceptable. Number three, all characters shall be depicted in dress 
reasonably acceptable to society. Listen up, punks and goths. <laughs> <laughs> and number four, females shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities. Note, it should be recognized that all prohibitions dealing with costume, dialogue, or artwork applies as specifically to the cover of a comic magazine as they do to the contents. And so that's included because there was the phenomenon of the good girl cover at the time oh, yeah. where you just have a sexy girl on the cover. Yeah, some cheesecake. Yeah, it wouldn't be as risque on the inside often. Yeah. So, I mean, that sucks. <laughs> that whole category. You can tell I'm not into that. <laughs> I wish I had comment on it. I mean, it's just like, well, that sucks. Then we've got marriage and sex. Divorce shall not be treated humorously nor represented as desirable. When did no-fault divorce come in? I don't know, the 90s or something? <laughs> it's like the 40s. Might be the 50s. No-fault divorce. History. Uh, America. Oh, here we go. California was the first U.S. state to enact a no-fault divorce law. It was signed by Governor Ronald Reagan, mm -hmm. a divorced and remarried former movie actor. So at least he's not being a hypocrite. It came into effect in 1970. Dude, I wasn't that far off. No, no, no. You were right. I thought it was the 50s. Yeah. I guess we were equidistant from the right date. Split the difference. Yeah. So there you go. So, I mean, that would have been like a hot button issue at the time. Yeah. There's things about the Comics Code Authority that I actually agree with on a certain level like i think that divorce is probably not desirable for most families i think that gruesomeness and gratuitous violence isn't something that i want and i don't want my kids to read and in theory i agree with some of this stuff but i just don't agree with it as like this sort of like blanket solution for everybody it's like they've taken things that individually you might say like well who's going to argue with that and then made it so that i mean it's all you get but here's the problem if divorce could not be treated humorously you wouldn't get every tim allen movie from the 1990s <laughs> well yeah, yeah. <laughs> so actually in that sense i agree with it but <laughs> but i mean yeah i mean it'd be better if people who weren't compatible didn't get married i guess i guess that's the yeah i mean i don't know yeah. I don't know. I think divorce can be amicable. I think divorce it can be good. I think divorce is better than there being like a marriage where like people want to be divorced but can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And, and I'm not saying, yes, yeah, I it's certainly I like I understand that. But it's like I think that there's like all sorts of these things within the comics code that I'm like, yeah, this is actually like but, this lines up with my values to some degree or another. Or like at least my what I would hope that I live my life like. Anyway. <laughs> illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed violent love scenes as well as sexual abnormalities are unacceptable so that's very restrictive right yeah. that's the kind of thing where in movies when the haze codes came in all of a sudden couples didn't sleep in the same beds that's bizarre or i mean and so that's not even like where my modern mind goes like sexual abnormalities would be like don't show two gays smooching that's what they mean here that's what they mean here yeah. by sexual abnormalities they mean anything outside of like um prim and proper white people missionary sex but that's not even like there like that's not even hinted at it's like the yeah. like leave it to beaver family relationship or whatever basically everyone's like a ken doll down there <laughs> <laughs> number three respect for parents the moral code and for honorable behavior shall be fostered a sympathetic understanding of the problems of love is not a license for morbid distortion. Mm. So yes, Romeo very. and Juliet, that's no good. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get it now. 
Number four, the treatment of live romance stories shall emphasize the value of the home and the sanctity of marriage. Yeah, and I think two, three, and four, yeah. those all come together to imply that probably not only same-sex relationships need to be not hinted at or whatever, but also interracial relationships. Mm. You know, at the time, you would have a lot more opposition to that than you do now. Like now, it's yeah. relatively not a big deal. I mean, yeah. there are segments of the population where it does seem to be a big deal to them that other people are doing it. But um, for the most part, that's not as big a deal nowadays no. as it would have been in the 1950s. Number five, a passion or romance interest shall never be treated in such a way as to stimulate the lower and baser emotions. Which was basically what romance comics were doing at the time, right? Like it, yeah. was, it was basically the comic version of the romance cover with Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, an oiled up ship captain with his hair in the breeze or whatever. My, these seas are certainly heaving. Well, no more than your bountiful bosom, milady. <laughs> Does that earring mean you're a pirate? Kinda. You know what I was thinking about with the other ones? They're probably talking also about like, um, like showing affairs. Like you can't yeah, show for sure. any affairs. Um, for sure. And number six, seduction and rape will never be shown or suggested. Odd that they would pair those two together. Yeah, that's real big. She was asking for it energy on that, you know, like by the uh, way she was dressed or something. Seducing and rape are kind of like conflated. Yeah. In a weird way. And number seven. This is actually a rule that I'm instituting on this show. Sex <laughs> perversion. <laughs> so Sex perversion or any inference to same is strictly forbidden. This episode is going to be five minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut out all of my parts. <laughs> I'm going to go back and edit out all the perversion from the previous episodes. Joke's on him, audience. I do all the uh, editing. <laughs> so really the joke's on me. <laughs> now, you are saying that this is the part, code for advertising matter. This is the part that you have some thoughts on some interesting thoughts or rather i don't think it's like a big like i think these were probably pretty good right because it's like no liquor and tobacco advertisements of sex instruction books are unacceptable you know you can't sell pinups or art studies right because they were selling porn out of the back of these magazines right the version of porn at the time which like i wouldn't be opposed to that in comics that were for adults yeah. but you know but what about what it, about liquor and tobacco like you you were just saying like the whole the whole thrust of this conversation is that like somebody seeing this in comics isn't going to cause them to do it would seeing liquor or tobacco advertising cause them i think advertising is different because advertising is trying to have a prescriptive influence the intention of the stories is not to that kids go out and create crime but the intention of the ads is that kids go out and buy liquor and smoke cigarettes well and you know how i feel about joe camel Okay, so even if the, the the purpose of the creation of the material is different, the fact that a printed material could have that influence on somebody, doesn't it actually undermine the modern view of the Comics Code Authority? In some degree, not totally. Well, again, like, I think advertising is different from, like, narrative in its uh, aims, right? Like, so... I don't know. I don't know about the effectiveness of advertising. I feel like that is a separate kind of thing. Super but... effective on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even but, joking. Well, sometimes it is, right? Because they'll use like yeah. like podcast advertising is often very effective on people. 
like our Potter ZB popcorn, uh, which yeah. is very popular because people come to trust you and they have kind of like a parasocial relationship with you as a podcaster. I don't know. I mean, the things I'm less concerned about things like liquor and tobacco advertising and sex instruction booklets and more with like the ways that kids were being scammed in these these ads. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you could buy like monkeys out of your baby monkeys. They would ship them to you. That sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. People get their faces ripped off by these things. Like it was insane. Like you get a scared, dehydrated monkey in a ship that's been in a shipping crate for like a month and a half. Well, that's not a scam. <laughs> well, you got the monkeys. Dude. You got the monkeys. You know, like yeah. a lot of it was being misrepresented. Yeah. And also there were a lot of like weird adult products and stuff that probably shouldn't be marketed to kids. And again, you know, like in a rating system, you wouldn't have to worry about this because you would have liquor and tobacco advertising in the adult rated comics. Yeah. Not in the U.S. Oh, you don't have them in the U.S.? No, they can't advertise in print media anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I think cigarettes you can't advertise in print media. I think you can still advertise alcohol. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, you can. Any. It's, I'm thinking of every time I get upset, it's about cigarettes. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about cigarettes, too, and the uh, the prohibition on them and how yeah. it's enforced. Yeah. Remind me to talk about it next time. Yeah, not when we're like two hours in. <laughs> so anyway, the fallout of the Comics Code Authority was that many publishers immediately went under. Uh, and even ones who published wholesome books couldn't weather the costs of tighter production needed to accommodate the code. So it's yeah. like maybe even if your comics already would have made it through the code, maybe you're a smaller publisher and now you don't have enough artists and material. Because now, because it has to be approved, you have to produce more longer in advance, you know? Yeah. And so it just put people out of business. Superman got to continue being fascist. Batman had to spend more time with the ladies. Wonder Woman had to spend less time with the ladies. Ooh. Mad became a magazine, depending on who you ask. And the Hayes Code lasted about 30 to 40 years before the MPA rating system. And how long did the Comics Code last? 54 to 2000. So about 40, 45 years. That's insane that it was still... I mean, but by the year 2000, like, it was just basically on there for you know well it continued beyond purposes. that archie still had it archie comics still had it on the covers yeah um, but like it couldn't have been actually being enforced i can't imagine like in the 90s like with all of those but i guess that's well it was in is. it was in 2001 i can't remember exactly what it was but it was a marvel comic i believe they were told no you can't publish this it violates this aspect of it and they basically said like well we're just going to go ahead without the comics code authority and the newsstands were like okay no one's cared about this for like 35 years yeah. so what do we care kids are buying these things um and probably they wanted to sell more of the like image and you know these other titles that were kind marvel of marvel night people actually wanted you know yeah and also the comics often they had like magazine equivalents so you had things like eerie magazine i think they did vampirella you had yeah. Savage sort of Conan, you know, running at the same time as Marvel was doing Conan. So it just had kind of lost relevancy by that point, basically. And the direct market existed now. When it came in, comic stores didn't exist. You know, yeah. by the 90s, comic stores are where probably half the comics were bought. Maybe more. I don't know. You'd have to look at the numbers, but... Yeah, which is hard to do. Nowadays, I imagine most people get the comics at comic stores and bookstores, not at the newsstand. No, I don't think at all they're buying them at the newsstand. Yeah. How do you feel about the Comics Code Authority now, now that you know about it and everything? Um, it, I mean, it is like, you know, like what I described in the beginning of like my when I first heard about it and I was like, well, what's the big deal? 
um, not only had I the like the MPAA that I saw as like a censorship bureau, but that was adequate and serviceable. I was also like most of my experience with the Comics Code Authority was later in its life where it didn't seem like the stuff we read was really relevant anymore, or like at least it wasn't being affected as much by the code. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's pretty awful. It's an awful example of censorship, especially considering how much it changed the industry and hamstrung them and put them out of business. It's really sad. I think it's also a story that's constantly threatening to reemerge, not necessarily in comics, but in other mediums, you know, to be like, okay, all the social media companies are going to create a self-governing board and they're going to determine what is allowed, you know, for moral standards. You know, YouTube's kind of like that. Like, I'm constantly angry uploading to YouTube where it's like, everything you upload has to be appropriate to their advertisers, right? Who have a certain standard that they want. And so you're not allowed like to do all sorts of stuff, you know? Yeah, it is funny like to see it repeated in like heavy metal music, then video games, then social media. Remember the V chip that was threatening to come out in the 90s? I don't think it ever came out, but... I do remember that. Yeah, I was terrified of that as a kid, the V chip. Yeah. My stepdad used to taunt me and be like, I'm going to get the V chip. When it comes out <laughs> i'd be like i was already like thinking like okay how am i going to get the password to this thing <laughs> and i mean he never censored me from watching anything the only thing he ever told me not to watch was in living color <laughs> yeah i think it's because he was a bit of a racist <laughs> like you know not like an overt racist but like a subconscious racist yeah but uh yeah like i was terrified of that you know it's like yeah. the v chip but i mean also my viewing of material, especially at a younger age, should have been reined in probably a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like I let my kid watch stuff that's I think above sort of like the level that's recommended for him, but yeah. not at the level that I read. <laughs> well, this is like, this is the worst part about it is that it, un- like they talk about like protecting like uh, normal family values or whatever. They, they mentioned that in there. Like what... Uh, what undermines the authority of a family more than having the government say, no, your child cannot read this type of material. Yeah. Your child yeah. can't be exposed to this. It's like, it's disgusting. Well, it's an in-group and an out-group. Like, it's assuming that, that the people you want to agree with you are going to agree with you. Yeah. And fuck everybody else, you know? We get to set what the family values are, what that means, you know? Yeah. And... uh It's fucked up. It's authoritarian. It's fascist. It's it's fucking fascist. And folks, this actually fascism is is a scariest thing. (laughs) Dude, like people throw fascism around like this actually is like a a, a legitimate. It has elements of fascism in it. Certainly like it has like certain fascist inclinations, I think, uh, in terms of its like social engineering. Yeah, I don't Um, like it. Fuck you, Wortham. (laughs) Rotten hell, you goddamn bastard. (laughs) You ghoulish culture vampire okay but i think we've said his name twice now we can't say it a third time or he'll show up so (laughs) oh hello i am the ghost of frederick wetham i saw you you little pervert i've been watching you all your booby movies listen i'm all about the bush and the ass in my movies oh i know it's because i like art films all right is that what you call it 
<laughs> I don't care what you call it. Just give me more of it. So if you look for him on Halloween, you'll see him zip and zoom. No harm can befall him. No longer can they call him the wobbling goblin with the broken broom. All right, Kyle, here we are at the begging and groveling department. That's right. We're begging and groveling for our lives. All you ghouls and you goblins, you specters of the night, you you scary creatures. This is our opportunity to get down on our knees and say, hey, please don't murder me. And also, tell your friends about Potter (laughs) Zeebee. If you're an ancient mummy locked in a tomb deep in a pyramid somewhere and you don't have any friends, tell your mummified cat about Potter Zeebie. And if you have uh, letters, you can send them to us. Yeah. Potter podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to dress us as dear idiots or you idiots or uh, I'm going to murder you idiots. Make sure you put parody somewhere in there. We're very litigious here at Potter ZB. And, uh, you know, in the subject line, idiot mail. That part, that part is the most critical. And we'll read it on the air, no matter how spooky it is. But please, make sure your letter doesn't undermine family values or authority figures. Yeah. Or, or, or even if it does, that's pretty cool. I like that sort of thing. <laughs> Kyle, what if they want more of you and less of me? Well, you can find me at my spooky website at kylebridget.com where you can hire me to exhume your dead parents or reanimate your cat or draw you a picture or teach you how to draw a picture or just to generally stalk you and cause mayhem in your life. You can also check me out on YouTube where I'm at Little Cozy Nostril. I'm at Little Cozy Nostril most places, but especially on YouTube where I have a series called Canonically Crumb, uh, where I explore the comics and characters of R. Crumb's Crummyverse. And I have a new episode coming out there, probably, I think, the same week that this drops. Uh, you can already watch it now on Patreon. And by the Potter ZB t shirt at my T Public, link in the show description. What about you, Patrick? Mm-hmm. You can go uh, find me at youtube.com slash at flipping through. I drop a new mad review every Saturday. I live stream every other Sunday. And um, I don't know, you can flipping through.com links to my Instagram, my YouTube, my Etsy. You can buy a button from me. It's pretty cool. They're cursed buttons. (laughs) If you make a wish on it, it'll go bad. If you want me to uh, cover you in ectoplasm, uh, slide into my DMs. <laughs> it's very slimy slide. You'll, you'll slip right in there. <laughs> All right. This has been another spooky episode of Potter ZB. We'll be back in two weeks. Wow. <laughs> and hey, thank you so much for listening. By the way, Ed, how's your mummy? Blah!
I farted. You're incorrigible. <laughs> All right, let's stop this fucking recording. This one went really long. You better edit it so my hilarious Maui joke isn't uh, cut off.